Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mm, hello and welcome to Telling Everybody Everything. I am killing it today. I feel like Stacey Solomon because she influences mugs of tea, cups of tea, so much on her Instagram stories. She doesn't drink alcohol from what I gather following her. Um, if you don't know Stacey Solomon, of course you do. She's like a presenter, reality star now, very successful author. She cleans her house a lot and shows her beautiful children. She does a lot of DIY on Instagram. It's a great account. And Stacey's a lovely person. People in television unanimously love Stacey Solomon. She started on The X Factor because she's such an incredible singer. She was like this adorable 19-year-old single mom from Essex. And, you know, the country loves that. That's who we all are at heart. So she's always got like a beautiful mug of tea. She's got it in a nice Halloween cup at the minute. And I thought, I'm going to make a cup of tea. Made my cup of tea. Put some oat milk in there. Stirred it up. No sugar, of course. I'm not an animal. And then the doorbell rang. And it was a man in like kind of a nice black van, not clearly a delivery person, though I thought, I'm not expecting anyone else. I was home with Violet. Fred was napping. I had just had a meeting for an exciting project that I'm doing with Violet later this week. And um, we opened the door. The man brings a freaking cake in. Violet was like, what? How we get a cake? And I said to Violet, oh, it's because your mother is the smartest drunk person in the planet. No, I've not been drunk either. I am in my third trimester of pregnancy, but I was drunk with fatigue in a foreign country. And in the middle of the night, I thought to myself, I'm going to order a delicious chocolate raspberry buttercream gluten-free cake from Violet Cakes. This is a company in London that I discovered because I was looking for Violet's birthday cake probably two years ago. We used to order from another wonderful baker. If you're vegan, she's called Miss Flick's Vegan Cakes. You can find her on Instagram and she makes great cakes. But then I don't know, like no offense to the vegans, but there was something about like eggs and butter that I just feel like was missing in my life. And I'm sorry to all the cows listening as well and the chickens because I know that it's a whole minefield of evil, the dairy and the meat industry. And I should be vegan, I recognize that. But I mean, look, we're not perfect. So I ordered this Violet Cakes that I just stumbled upon. I don't know why, like sometimes I just search the word Violet. And it turns out this company has made cakes for the royal family. I think they made Princess Charlotte's cake and they do 
just incredible stuff with such a delicious, almost like marshmallowy icing that I had on Violet's birthday cake. And then they decorate it with fresh flowers if you want. They do a little banner. And you might not always get your order. You might order, and that's just a request. You're like, please, will you make this at this day? And they go, we'll, we'll think about it. You'll get an email confirming whether we can accommodate you or not. And then you want it even more and you wait for the email. And then the email comes right away and it goes, yes, fine. We'll make your cake on Saturday. Congratulations. You're like, yeah. So days ago, I think I was probably in Latvia. It was probably 3 a.m. I couldn't sleep. I was thinking about this cake. I put the order in and forgot about it. And I have always done that. In the past, I've never been like a massive heavy drinker ever, But when I was young, I suppose I would go out with my friends with the intention of getting drunk and drink on purpose, like to a level of what would be considered binging, I guess. But I always knew it was not cool to be like sloppy drunk. And I have to remind all of you of that, especially the young people listening to me who are like, let's get fucked up. It's just not cute. It's just not safe. It's fun to a point. But if you go overboard, it's not fun because it's not worth feeling sick and acting like an idiot. But in the morning... I'd have girlfriends who were genuinely, I mean, bear in mind, this is Canada at a very different time when drunk driving was bad, but it wasn't, we didn't know really how dangerous it was. We should have, but it wasn't, I mean, you didn't really get in that much trouble, even if you got caught for a while. But I would have girlfriends who were like, oh my God, I woke up and my mom's car was in the driveway. Who drove my mom's car home? And we'd be like, you did. And then we're like, oh my God. I would have girlfriends who'd lose their bags, lose their phones once we had phones, like lose their keys. They'd wake up and be like, oh, I'm, I have no money and I don't know how I got home. I would wake up every morning after a night of drinking with my makeup completely washed off impeccably. I would have moisturized, brushed and flossed my teeth. My phone and wallet and purse would be right beside me. I would have not always, yeah, I would usually change into jammies, but I mean, the makeup was off, the like valuables were safe. And I'd be like, what happened last night? My friends would be like, well, you talked to the cops when they came to break up our party and you seemed totally sober. And I don't know, it's like a gift and a curse that I have because I'm really nice when I'm drunk as well. And people would be like, no, you offered to be my, you know, maid of honor at my wedding in India and you said you would definitely come. I'm like, shit, we just met. I'm not friendly. I make a lot of empty promises when I'm drunk and I become a very friendly person and I don't seem as though I am intoxicated so people take me seriously. I will say I was a little bit drunk. Whoa, I was, look, I was drunk on the night that I got back together with Bobby. Crucially, I always say not too drunk to consent, but we were both drinking And we got a little bit carried away. Had I not been drunk that night, I never would have got back with my husband, ever. Not because it was a mistake, but just because I am not someone who's ever had a one-night stand, which is what that was supposed to be. I never would have done it. And I don't think he ever would. Well, actually, no. I'm making a lot of assumptions about him. Who knows what he was up to in, in Toronto, running around the six as a hot young single bachelor. But I never had, ever had one night stands. And... I just, something about the idea of sleeping with my high school boyfriend tickled me that night. I was like, that is a hilarious idea, drunk Catherine. Let's go for it. And also, I mean, like, obviously I loved him, but um, I needed that extra, like, oomph. I never would have done it. And I'm pretty sure it was my idea. Like, everything's always my idea. Anyway, so I ordered this cake 
it arrives today and now I'm enjoying it with a cup of tea and it is delicious. I know a lot of you don't like the word moist, but look, that is the word that applies to this cake, Violet London Cakes. I can't recommend them highly enough. I think they're overpriced. I don't know really what that means anymore. I will soon. There's an energy crisis. Mm. And Violet and Bobby have taken Fred out across the street to see a tractor. So I'm all alone. Mm-mm-mm. Tonight is my first night off in a really long time. And I'm very grateful to have been back on tour and working and traveling. But I'm also very grateful to have time at home because... You guys know that my ethos towards parenting is not sustainable, and I feel like you should be with your kids as much as you can. Other people, uh, and I'm talking about dads mostly, (laughs) feel like they need to go out and earn money for their kids, and it's all right if they're not with their kids that much. And if they had two shows back-to-back in York and Hull, which are 30 minutes apart, they would stay up north instead of driving back to London in the day and then driving all the way back up. But that's what we do in our family just because I don't know. And I've been thinking a lot about the privilege that I have just being able to be like, no, I want to be with my son all the time. Like some people don't have a choice. They work in a factory and they have to work and they have to put their kids in daycare or nursery or whatever, wherever they go. Cause like, that's just life. And I remember having to look at putting Violet in daycare and how the daycare costs more than I was earning at my office job and how difficult that would be. I remember that. But I think you have to be realistic about getting to a level of financial comfort where you go, oh, I'm someone who doesn't have to be leaving my children all the time, so I won't. Like, how much money do we need? And where's the balance? And for every family, that balance is going to be different. But I mean, I've seen some male celebs just being like, well, haven't seen my kids at all in the last six months, like tweeting stuff like that. I'm like, well, what? Whose fault is that? What are you doing? Like, let's look at your schedule and decide like what's worth it and what's not. So, I mean, I think I've loved being on tour and I love, love, love going up north. They taught me in Hull that uh, you're supposed to say, if you want to sound like you're from Hull, you say, oh, no. There's snow in the road. And that's, oh no, there's snow in the road? Difficult for me to say as a Canadian, because first of all, I would celebrate any snow that I saw on the road and be like, oh, what a winter wonderland. But also, is it racist to do a Hull accent? If it's not today, it will be one day. Because it's my night off, we will probably try to do like a family movie night. We need to show Violet Austin Powers because she doesn't understand it as a reference. And they're doing a number from... It. I think the opening dance at school and she's like I'm doing something called Austin Powers I was like what you don't know what there's so much that they don't know that I would love to show kids because they're dressing like the 90s now they're dressing like the noughties they're starting to listen to that music but they have so few like film references and that is because they don't want to watch something that is more than seven minutes long and so they never they never get to see any films but one of the things that Bobby suggested that we watch tonight is this Dahmer documentary on Netflix. Netflix, like, look, I'm very grateful to Netflix. They have been life-changing for me. I got to do specials on there. Uh, the Fix was a really fun panel show that I did with D.L. Hughley, who I love on Instagram, and Jimmy Carr, my absolute mentor. 
and The Duchess, of course. And I watch a lot of Netflix, but I have to say, I am feeling critical of the amount of trauma porn on there. Killers and like killers and mysteries and true crime. And I understand that Netflix are responding to a consumer need. People love to listen to true crime podcasts and they like to watch documentaries about like scary things that happen in real life. And that is just a genre that I think I used to be guilty of subscribing to. And it's difficult for me to remember why, because all of a sudden, like someone switched the lights on and I just saw it for being poison to my soul. I think it started with men like I have spoken about in my book, and I don't ever want to center myself in the story because she was not my best friend and she was not my sister. She was someone else's sister who's done incredible activism to stop some of these killers going free too soon. And she's been very vocal in keeping her sister's killer behind bars. And her friends and her family have all been like fighting, fighting. But of course, this guy got released a little bit early, paroled. He has a wonderful life now, as far as I'm concerned. He killed his ex-girlfriend when we were all very young and she lived in the town where I lived. And so it was a big thing. Like everybody knows everybody where I lived and she and I worked together. So I had a lot of interactions with her behind the bar. She's someone I thought was amazing. I really looked up to her as like a cool girl who is a couple years older than me. No, we weren't best friends, but like we talked a lot and had drinks together and I knew her ex-boyfriend and then all of a sudden one day she was gone and he had murdered her and that was really traumatic at a time when my brain was still growing. I think all young women and anyone in our town had a very visceral, life-lasting reaction to that tragedy because she was such an amazing young person taken too soon and it was just so disgusting the way it all happened and the way it all shook out legally afterwards. But um, it sort of informed this narrative that really kind of made me, pushed me towards a lot of bad choices where I just thought men were killers. I decided really early, oh, if you break up with a man or you leave a man or you piss a man off, he could kill you. And I say that now, like, I feel like I'm kind of not even wrong. Like, that is a threat that okay, realistically now, I know every man's not going to kill you. I know that's crazy, but it is something that a lot of women do think about. At least in the back of your mind, you're like, ooh, am I under threat here? Am I under threat in this situation? I have to be vigilant now, and I have to not upset this person too much because um, Catelyn Moran put it really well. She said it's like living on a planet of bears, and sometimes the bears are really nice and cute and cuddly, but at the end of the day, they're bears, and that's how we feel sometimes. But I learned that watching these killer things too much uh, was just really extending that narrative. And it was bad for my soul because realistically, I know that most people are good and kind and safe. And I just don't see the point in reinforcing like, and then the children were brutalized. It's like, that's bad for you to watch that all the time. I understand like... People want to know what happened. And sometimes people think, oh, uh, that's interesting. Like, well, let's see how the police fucked up here. And let's see, like, how I can protect myself from being in a situation like this. Oh, my God, I can't believe that happened. Like, I get that people are drawn to it for some reason. But the Jeffrey Dahmer documentary in particular, like, this guy has not been out of the news 
since he was arrested and convicted of these crimes. He's been dead since the 90s. He murdered 17 men and boys that we know of somewhere in America, like Connecticut or something. And he did it in such a sick way. Um, tortured them and like he, there was cannibalism involved. I mean, like, it's a sick, sick story. And I don't understand why we keep having to tell it. And then another layer that I don't understand is why you'll do a joke about something and stand up, something so innocuous, something that isn't a bad uh, event or a violent act or something that's actually sadistic. You'll just be joking about like something in politics or something in the world, or you'll be doing some sort of art about tragedy sometimes. You know, some comedy is provocative and edgy. For example, everyone got upset when Jimmy Carr told his Holocaust joke. You can look that up if you missed that absolute media storm in the UK a few months ago. Of course, it died down because he didn't mean any harm. It was nothing. It was art about an actual uh, vibe in society. It was revealing something. I'm not going to go into like explaining the joke too much, but how come you do that and people are pissed off, but you can create a whole documentary that is really sad and scary about actual things that happened. Meanwhile, the victim's families are like begging you not to do it. They're like, please don't re-traumatize us with this shit. And you're like, oh no, it's art, you know? So many films, even fictional ones that aren't about real events. It's like, oh, it's art. Actually, we just want to tell the story of this child who was brutalized. It's like, what? Well, why? Why are you allowed to make that? But you can't even tell a joke about something that's medium bad. But there are movies where kids are like trafficked and men and boys are brutally murdered in real life. And we have to keep making podcasts and documentaries about it. Like I'm so fucking sick of killers. There's another one on there right now that a lot of my friends are watching. And I understand it's it's so fascinating because there's this woman, it's called Sins of Our Mother. There's this woman who uh, apparently lost it, kind of got way too deep into a religious cult and seems to have murdered her family. And that rarely happens I mean, with women, it happens a lot less in the news anyway than it happens with men. And I get that's a fascinating story. You go, oh my God, what happened? Where did she go wrong? People want to know. But at the end of the day, like, I don't want to know. I don't want to see that. These two children now are no longer on earth. And we, I don't think the trial has happened yet. We don't know exactly what happened, but it's pretty clear what happened. I don't need to watch like a blow by blow of this and keep re-traumatizing everyone involved, all of the family. It's trauma porn. It's crazy. I don't know what people get out of it. They like get a high from it or something. They feel scary like a roller coaster. I don't understand it. So I refuse. And that's all you can do really. I think if you don't like something, we were talking about like even comedians that people are pissed off with now. People are like, well, why is Louis C.K. still touring? And it's like, If you don't like something, don't buy a ticket and show up to protest what it is. If it's art or music or comedy or something streaming or something in the theaters, just don't give it your money. Don't watch it. Don't stream it. Don't go to it. Don't buy a ticket. And it will go away if enough people agree with you. It's like the most simple way of everyone deciding what's right and wrong. (laughs) 
you don't like someone speaking about a certain subject, don't go. Like, everyone's now, you can hear Megan snoring, look. I'm not my usual podcast room. If you can hear Megan snoring, a lot of people message me and they're like, is someone farting on your podcast? No, the dog has a really flat face. But I mean, I'm tired of it. I don't like that Netflix is like slowly sliding into being just a serial killer documentary channel. And yes, I used to watch those things when I was younger, but I don't know. I think it's bad for us. I think it is a toxin when there's too much of it. It is ubiquitous at this point. Everyone's watching serial killer documentaries, people killing their spouses, their kids, strangers. I just, I hate it. And I found this very interesting to me article in Glamour Magazine. Like the day Jeffrey Dahmer gets in Glamour Magazine. Like, what's happened? It is written up by Lucy Morgan, and it's about, like, why? It's really shines a light on what I'm trying to figure out here, like, what it is that people find so compelling about these serial killers. She writes, who asked for another TV show about Jeffrey Dahmer, the serial killer who murdered 17 men and boys in Wisconsin? He died in 1994, but thanks to Netflix, he's back in the spotlight once more, not that he ever really left. Since Dahmer's conviction in 1992, the true crime machine has barely taken a break from churning out documentaries, film and TV adaptations, books and podcasts, so many podcasts about his life and crimes. This relentless stream of Dahmer content is realized through a creative disregard for the families of his victims, who, as Eric Thulhu, a family member of Errol Lindsay's, who was tortured and murdered by Dahmer, recently tweeted, are constantly being re-traumatized. Yeah, this is what I'm talking about. They, uh, and again, I haven't seen it, And I know you shouldn't really speak about things you haven't seen. And please don't even bother emailing me at tellingeverybodyeverything at gmail.com to be like, well, Catherine, you know, it's centered from the point of the victims and it doesn't glorify the murderer at all. I don't care. The victims don't want it to be made. They uh, cast a woman who looks just like this victim's sister. The creative hair and makeup and wardrobe styling is so on point that they do her hair and clothes exactly the same, and they have her act out a very emotional courtroom scene verbatim to how this victim's sister acted, you know, her victim impact statement in court. They they completely recreate that. And that woman, like her brother was tortured to death, and now she has to watch like an actress doing her while she's having a literal fucking breakdown in the courtroom. I don't know why they don't have to ask for permission. Not only are these family members expected to cope with the literal reenaction of their trauma, they must also suffer the indignity of witnessing the real-time romanticization of Dahmer's image, prompting not-so-guilty declarations of lust from many true crime fans. Over on TikTok, multiple users are sharing a scene from episode three of Dahmer in which Evan Peters, cast in the lead role, strip teases in front of a mirror wearing an unbuttoned plaid shirt that hangs loosely against his glistening muscular chest. While this clip is often shared with some form of loose disclaimer or an assurance that the subject of desire is Evan's, not Dahmer, it's still unapologetically about lusting after the portrayal of a serial killer. What the fuck? It's not the first time Netflix has been criticized for glamorizing a serial killer. Take the 2019 Ted Bundy adaptation, bizarrely titled Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil, and Vile, which starred Zac Efron, one of the most lusted after men in Hollywood, in the titular role. 
Unlike Dahmer, an effort was made in the Bundy Wapak to avoid graphic depictions of the criminal's various murders and sexual assaults. But in casting Efron in this role, dark curls and all, the show's creators relied on an aspect of true crime that few would openly admit to experiencing. Thirst. It's an unsettling reality that most male serial killers have some sort of fan base, mostly consisting of young white women. And we're not just talking about the women who waited outside courtrooms, sent love letters, and sometimes even married, as in the case of Ted Bundy, convicted rapists, cannibals, and serial killers. We're talking about young women with Ted Bundy's name in their Twitter bio, followed by a love heart. Communities on Tumblr devoted to Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold, who murdered 13 people at Columbine High. What? And naturally, endless TikToks about how Evan Peters as Jeffrey Dahmer is kind of hot, actually. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. You can buy a T-shirt with the design of Jeffrey Dahmer himself plastered on a retro pattern with the slogan, I eat guys like you for breakfast. The creepy fascination with serial killers who usually need to be white, male, and relatively good-looking to significantly capture our imagination has turbocharged the true crime industrial complex. True crime is significantly consumed and thus marketed to women, with one study finding that the true crime podcast audience is 73% female, which another study, which focused on true crime books, theorized that by consuming true crime, women could gain potentially life-saving knowledge about avoiding or escaping from a serial killer. Yeah, right. Uh, Like, yeah, maybe there's a fascination because you go, oh God, that could happen to me. And that just sounds really, like you're not going to learn from watching like four Ted Bundy specials that are now streaming on Netflix. He has more specials than I do. Like how you're going to avoid Ted Bundy because a Ted Bundy doesn't come along every day. You know how to avoid serial killers is like you can't always, but you take these steps. But you're not going to watch like The Staircase and be like, okay, I know how I'm going to dodge my husband killing me is like not have any owls around the flat. I remember Lyle, is it Lyle? The Menendez brothers, Eric and Lyle Menendez, I think they were called. When we were young, there were these rich boys from Beverly Hills who murdered both their parents, and they claimed self-defense, and it was a huge trial kind of around the time of OJ, and there were women then who were obsessed with these two, and I think they probably did marry fans in jail, and then there were killers in Canada very near to where I grew up. I mean, there there was always this narrative of, like, watch out for killers. This was a couple, so it involved a woman... It was um, Paul Bernardo and his then wife, Carla Homolka. She now is definitely out of jail and living under an alias somewhere in Quebec. And I think he's out of jail. But they were this couple that went around like picking up young girls in cars and doing unspeakable things. And there were videos. And the wife was claiming that she was forced into helping him find these women. But she gave him her little sister as a Christmas present or birthday present. I mean, that's some sick shit. And we had to hear about it all the time. And then there was another killer in Canada called Robert Picton, who got away with so many crimes because he targeted indigenous women. And he owned a pig farm. And there were so many, so many police fuck ups where he should have been caught. Very similar to Jeffrey Dahmer, where like some victims get away and the police are like, 
oh, you're wearing one handcuff? Oh, you're fine. Like, oh, this is like a sex game gone wrong or whatever. Or you're on drugs, so we're not going to take you seriously. We found you in the middle of the road escaping a killer, but like, we'll just let him take you back because you seem fine. Um, So I get there's that too. There's fascination with like how it can all go so wrong and how it can go unpunished for so long. But this business of wanting to marry them just proves my point that like it's not just about keeping yourself safe at all. It's not just about fascination. It's like all of these aforementioned killers, serial killers and rapists were like romanticized and Paul Bernardo was apparently hot. They were like called the Ken and Barbie killers, these two, because Carla Homolka was blonde. And I, I mean, listen, I'm going to go on record saying I was never attracted to Paul Bernardo or the Menendez brothers, certainly not Jeffrey Dahmer, Robert Picton. I think it's nuts. Scott Peterson, again, is another one. Like there's so many men, mostly, and some women who are famous, famous because they killed people and we got so fascinated that we had to put it in every single documentary for fucking 20 years plus. (sighs) Rachel Monroe, journalist. Oh, I'm still reading from this Glamour article written by... I'm going to name check her again, Lucy Morgan. Rachel Monroe, journalist and author of Savage Appetites, Four True Stories of Women, Crime, and Obsession, touches on this theory, telling The Guardian, reading a true crime story about a stalker who murdered his girlfriend might be a way for a woman to process her own anxieties. However, Monroe adds, this theory typically favors stories about attractive middle-class white women who've gone missing versus stories about the people who are much more likely to suffer violence in our society. Hmm. Ryan Murphy's Dahmer perfectly illustrates Monroe's point. Jeffrey Dahmer's victims were all male. He targeted gay men who were mostly poor and African-American, Asian, or Latino. There's no life-saving knowledge that could possibly justify a white woman crushing on Dahmer. She was simply never endangered by him in the same way that black gay men and boys were. Their attraction to Dahmer overshadows any potential compassion for the victims, uh, their lives, further centering themselves as the key players in the true crime averse. White women, we have been destroyed in the last few years. Bill Burr, this is what happened. The Me Too movement exploded in Hollywood, and we went, these things happened, and they're bad. That was like 2015, and then we had a moment. We marched with pussy hats on, and then someone somewhere was like, hang on, girls, a lot of other people are suffering more than you, and you don't think about them. You pretty much only think about yourselves. And then Black Lives Matter happened. And we were like, ooh. And then the Karens came out of the shadows. And we were like, ooh. And then Bill Burr did material about how white women stepped over this line with their big Gucci boot or whatever the analogy he used, being like, me, make it about me. And now there's COVID and hurricanes and the war in the Ukraine and an energy crisis. And it's just like, we got two seconds to be like, we are under bit. No. And then we took it too far. We had to take it too far. And this fancying of serial killers and centering ourselves yet again is another nail in the coffin. We just got to lay low for a while. And, and you fuck this up. Any of you who have Ted Bundy with a love heart in your Twitter bio is your fault. Ugh, I suppose in tribute... It is good to acknowledge the recent birthday of the whitest white woman of all. Tuesday, the 27th of September, saw our very own vagina candle lover, Gwyneth Paltrow, 
turn 50. She's promoted so many beauty treatments on Goop. Um, I'm sure you've seen the eight-day goat milk cleanse, bee sting facials, which I have experienced actually by this incredible lady called Deborah when I filmed How'd You Get So Rich. Apparently, bee venom kind of has like a Botox effect. Um, what was she, she was putting eggs in her vag, like stone eggs. A step-by-step guide of how to yawn properly. You got too much time on your hands if you're like, let's make sure we're getting all the oxygen that is required from each yawn. Like, what are you tired from? You're supposed to gently tilt your head back into a comfortable position and allow your mouth to hang open widely whilst you gently extend into it. And then, of course, the vagina steam. That was classic. The vagina candle, the vagina steam, those are my favorite. Teaching other privileged white women to yawn when they have like chefs and nannies. I would punch one of those women if I ever saw them yawning. <laughs> oh no, it's me. I don't have a chef or a nanny. I mean, we do. We do have a babysitter sometimes, but she's part-time. And if I'm not working, we don't see her. What would you do to celebrate your 50th birthday? What would I do? What would Gwyneth do? I think it's we'd all do the same exact thing. And that is post pics of yourself naked, painted in gold to all your social media pages and your business social media pages. I mean, why not? I love it. And you know, I'm looking at these pics now. Gwyneth Paltrow is the epitome of good health and fitness. I think she's been vegan for a really long time. She's been doing like Pilates and yoga and being mindful and like walking around and she's naturally stunning anyway. And uh, it doesn't look photoshopped to me. It doesn't look ridiculous like a Kardashian body. And when I say ridiculous like a Kardashian body, I love and want a Kardashian body. More on that soon. Six months after I have this next kid, I'm going to, I might look into doing something. I think she looks good. I think no matter what your body looks like, if you feel good and powerful and strong in it, then on your 50th birthday, it should be a national uh, requirement that you post naked pics on your social media. Why not? Looks great. Happy birthday. Oh my gosh, this caught my eye this week. I don't know if you've seen it too, but in uh, the chapter of empowerment, this bride from Wales, I think, she's called Kaylee. She spent her life savings on her dream wedding. And then all of a sudden, the groom left her at the altar. His mom broke the news. His mom was like, uh, see if I can do a Welsh accent. Oh, no. <laughs> He's left the venue. Sorry to, to let you know. No, that was really a bad Welsh. Like, how do they even talk? I know Welsh people. I can't do the accent. Basically, his mother-in-law was like, babe, he's not here. And she just decided to go along with him. Him not showing up did not stop her from having a great day. Alongside her bridal party and family, Kaylee went ahead with her wedding entrance, meal, speeches, dances, and posed for professional photos without his ass. She entered the party singing along to Lizzo's Good As Hell. She punched off the top tier of her wedding cake and had her first dance with her brother. I mean... I love this story. I've gone to her Instagram. You should too. Her Instagram, I don't think she minds me sharing it because the story's gone like pretty big now. It's Kaylee Stead 2206. What is the significance of the 22nd of June? We'll never know. <clears throat> so she still has a picture of him. She has not deleted him. August 4th, she posted his photo. Looks like they're having like a fun bonfire. And she wrote, two years ago today, tags him, proposed to me. And I said, yes, 43 days until we say I do. And there are people under these 
pictures, like commenting, they can't believe that she's not just deleted him from her life. But she's pretty cool. She's just like, nah, you know what? It's fine. He's part of my story. And I think that anyone who leaves you at the altar, anyone who cheats on you, anyone who breaks up with you, anyone who walks away, it's going to hurt your feelings probably at the time. And maybe there are better scenarios where you could announce that you don't want to be with someone who's just spent their life savings on a wedding to you. But like, whatever, there's no such thing as too late. It's like, shit, let's not add a layer of legal complexity to this. Maybe she doesn't hate him. Like maybe she knew deep down, well, this guy really isn't the one. And I'm sure, I'm sure, like there were signs. I don't think someone just leaves you at the altar. Maybe it was shaky. Who the fuck knows? But basically, good. Anyone who walks out of your life, let them go. People are in your life for a bit sometimes, and this girl has such a good attitude. But a lot of people are like, oh my God, he'll be getting full surgery to hide his identity because we all know who he is. And then this one absolute pick me, a girl, is like, we should celebrate this wonderful strong woman and leave her to judge the man. We, the strangers, do not know it all. Virtual hugs. And it's like, did you need to jump on there like as soon as she got married and defend him? Like, what is wrong? And I and I've defended him a bit, just to say, like, breakups are always good news. Louis C.K. has material. I know we don't talk about Louis C.K. a lot of us anymore, but he has material where he goes, divorce is never bad news. Like it's happy, perfect couples don't get divorced. There's something wrong if you don't go ahead with your wedding. Though I wouldn't say like, oh, this guy might be great. No, like if if you're commenting on the girl's page, you got to be for the girl and lift her up when she is feeling like she just got left at the altar. Anyway, she looks tight. I'm looking through her whole Instagram. And look, this is from 28 minutes ago. Last night, she went out to get a little tipsy, let her hair down and dance. It was strange to go out without my engagement ring on, but my friend made sure I didn't dance alone all night. Good. What a feel good story. You can keep your engagement ring. I think if someone leaves you, I think that's the deal. That you can be like, because Charlotte in Sex and the City kept her engagement ring after. It's a gift. I think it counts as a gift. And you can have it made into something else. Or maybe she didn't want it. Maybe she chucked it into the sea on the day of the wedding. I have never been married before Bobby Kay. I think that it has been like something I've read before that's like Catherine's first husband or whatever with Violet's dad. I was never married to anyone Though there have, of course, been instances where people have asked me to marry them and I didn't want to break up right away. And if you say no, that's pretty much you're breaking up right away. So you just have to be like, oh, yes. And the ring was like a piece of tin, not a literal piece of tin, but it was from like the Canadian version of Argos. And it was so not me, like so ugly in many ways and uncomfortable and didn't fit and a crazy color and cost like $30. Like it had everything wrong with it. And I was just like, that wasn't why though. I just knew that we had problems, but I mean like whatever. I did like him and I didn't want to break up. I needed more time. So if you need more time to think, then you always have to say yes. Or if it's a public proposal, someone like jumps a barrier at your marathon and stops the fucking race because they're such a narcissist, they have to ask you to marry them then. Or if someone does it at a baseball game on the Jumbotron, you know, like there are pressurized situations. I think it's always a pressurized situation when someone asks you and you just have to be like, well, I mean, you could say no. British people wouldn't. 
I guess I'm a bit British now. British people will be like, oh, sorry. I'm sorry that you've asked me. That's my fault. Oh, how can I make this less awkward for you? And then you just say, yeah. And then you wait and you get some time alone. And you crucially don't tell anyone or don't do any wedding planning. I mean, <clears throat> you can't let it snowball into like actually planning a wedding. We never planned a wedding at all. And then after a while, I was just like, I think he forgot we were engaged. I don't know. Like it was just never brought up again. <laughs> it was never brought up. My mom came around that day because it was my birthday, actually. Hooray. And my mom was passing through town. Uh, and she was there and like his parents were really excited. And they were like, guess what? They're engaged. And my mom got back in her car and cried. My mom was like, fuck. But I didn't have time to tell her like, I'm not really getting married. I just am buying more time because I like this guy, but I just don't know what to do. So that's my advice. If someone asks you to marry you and you don't want to cause a scene, like say no if you're strong enough to say no. But otherwise say yes and then just fizzle it out or say no as soon as you can. Um, and then when Bobby asked me to marry him, we were already getting married the next weekend. It was all like organized, but he did it sort of as a ritual. We were at Soho Farmhouse, which I'm no longer a member of anymore. <clears throat> Even though I saw Courtney Kardashian Barker there with her husband, Travis Barker, only three weeks ago. And I was like, damn it. These are the moments at Soho Farmhouse that I'm missing out on. If you don't know what it is, <clears throat> the Soho House is a private members club and they have lots of locations, hotels, restaurants, just lounges all throughout the world. Barcelona, uh, Malibu, New York, Toronto, Los Angeles is a good one. But I mean, ugh, it's kind of poncy. London has a few. I think London's probably the start where Soho house started and there's nothing wrong with it it's just not me anymore I don't do things I don't socialize and I didn't think it was like that convenient you pay a membership every year and then the perks are like oh you can like have the great pleasure of coming to our club but it's full of like young people um media's children like not even media people that I know anymore from the industry just like their kids who are 20 which is fine um and then so farmhouse specifically was always quite hostile about bringing kids like their members don't want kids there and fair enough like a lot of posh kids are assholes but it just became like well I can never even go so why am I going but we were there, <clears throat> Bobby and I and Violet. We got a family cabin somehow. It's like gold dust. I mean, what did I do? I probably pulled her out of school to go or something. She, I don't know how I got one. But we went <clears throat> and we were just like hanging out that weekend with the dogs and we were biking around and Bobby got off his bike. And then I thought he like fell or he did something. And then I was I turned my bike around. It's all quaint, isn't it? And he was on one knee and he was like, oh, will you marry me? And he had a lovely ring that I wear. It's my wedding ring slash engagement ring. I didn't have different rings. And I was like, ah, ha, ha. I just laughed because obviously I knew we were all to get married, but I thought it was so cute. And I did really love him. Obviously, I still do. And I was thinking to myself at that moment, oh, my God, Bobby Kutstra is asking me to marry him. Like I always hoped would happen. Let's now have some words from our sponsors. And when we return, I will see what's going on in your lives. I will hopefully agony ant you out of your problems. Be right back. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Oh gosh, sometimes I can answer these emails just by the headline alone. Catherine, can you be friends with an ex if you're in love with her and you work together? Oh God, I did something stupid this weekend. A few years ago, I moved abroad with my then-girlfriend. It ended badly, so I moved to London, but stayed with the same company. My ex then got a job at that same company a few months later. I couldn't leave. I'm tied in for another two years because they paid for my qualification. And I love my job. I didn't want to be pushed out when I've worked really hard to get to where I am. Hang on one second. It ended badly, so you moved countries and... Stayed with the same company, but she, well, your ex didn't work at this company. So like you guys broke up, you left and your ex presumably followed you. Like it's a quite a coincidence that they would get a job at the same company a few months later and you don't have to leave. Yeah. Like this is your job first, I'm assuming. And I wonder if that was a coincidence though. That's weird. Okay, fine. We didn't speak for a couple of years. What? But she works with you now. Hang on. Your ex then got a job at the same company a few months later. But maybe not in London. Okay. Okay. All right. So let me, I've got it now. You guys were together. You moved to London. You stayed with your same company, but they like transferred you. Then your ex gets a job at the same company, but you're still in different countries. Fine. We didn't speak for a couple of years, but this weekend I saw she was in London. I asked if she wanted to go for coffee to clear the air. We actually got on really well, and I didn't feel sad or jealous when she was telling me about her current girlfriend. I was genuinely happy for her, but I've not stopped thinking about her since we split up nearly three years ago. I've been with other people since, but it's never worked out because I'm still in love with my ex. I know we could never get back together, though. She said she wants us to be friends and in each other's lives more. It's not going to be good for me, but I really do want her in my life again. Time and distance hasn't changed anything, so how do I stop these feelings? Ugh, I mean, lesbians, lesbians confuse me because I know that everyone's equal, and but we're not. Like, we can be equal, but not the same is what I mean. And when you take a man's brain out of the equation then I just don't know because I know a lot of women who love and date other women and their relationships seem to me to be far more complex than any relationship that I've had in terms of like friendships. And also like, again, this is generalizing, but a lot of the lesbians that I know, they get together and like immediately they move in together and they get a cat and then 
they when they split up they're friends for like forever and ever and ever and like I don't see that happening as often with heterosexual people. All right. I mean, I have to just put myself in your position and think about what I would do. You don't want to leave your job. This person works for your job. Um, I don't think she lives in London. What? Is she like also transferred to this job? Like there's, there's certain things that aren't clear, but let's say she's in London more or she just wants to be friends like with long distance. Um, I think that you're going to have to keep your job. You could keep this person friends and just like deal with it because you love them and you guys could still like chat and stuff. And if it becomes too painful for you, like nothing now has changed within the last three years. You've loved her. You've still had feelings for her for the last three years. And now she just wants to be friends. I mean, maybe you were romanticizing her and thinking she was a lot better than she actually is. And being friends with her will stop her from being this like magnificent unicorn that you miss. And you know what I mean? Because people from a distance often seem better than they are. So I think if everything's friendly and everything's fine, maybe just be friends. And then you won't be pining for her so much. You'll be like, ah, oh, yeah, it's just her, actually. We could be friends. And then if you do have feelings for her, and it is meant to be, then, like, you could get back together someday. I know it ended badly. You don't say how. But, like, never say never. You could get back together. If it becomes a distraction and it's ruining your life and ruining your work and you can't focus, then you will have to make some boundaries and draw a line under it and be like, nah. But I think... You've romanticized the idea of her for three years. So just be her friend. And she's probably less impressive than you remember. (laughs) But one other secret thing that might happen is her current girlfriend. You know, she talks to you like, mom, my current girlfriend's great. Everything's going great. The current girlfriend might have a problem with you guys being friends. And then that will sort itself out, you know. But I don't know. Again, like I know a lot of lesbians are cool with with dynamics that are not necessarily cool with my heterosexual friends. In my experience, this could get spicy. Please write me back, actually. I think we all want to know how this is going. And please clarify what the fuck, like if you started at same companies and if this person lives in London now. I need more info. Oh, no. There's an account on Instagram pretending to be me, which is fine. That happens a lot. But this person has very helpfully attached the messages they have had with Catherine underscore Ryan personal, which is obviously not me. And I see these pop up all the time. And it's amazing that anyone thinks that they could be real. This person, to clarify, knew it wasn't real, but just interacted with the post because that's fun. Okay. Um, so they write, I know this isn't Catherine Ryan. And I wrote, oh, really? Why is that? LOL. M human, you know. And they wrote, she's far too busy. Video call? Yes, I am busy, but I make out time to thank my fans and you caught my attention. Well, thanks again and have a good one. Can we video call? Okay, then. Write to me on Telegram. Do you have Telegram application on your phone? I'll give you my username so you will write me on there. At love, peace, laughter. Question mark, question mark. What the fuck is Telegram? So then they wrote, I know this is not the real Catherine Ryan. She'd never send. Oh, really? Why is that? LOL. I'm human, you know. (laughs) Okay, dear. Thanks for the love and support once again. Thanks, love. See you in Manchester. You got your tickets? Yeah, 12th of November. Can't wait. You seem like you have a great personality, Brad. I would like to communicate with you more on another platform if possible. Sure, what do you have in mind? Thanks for all the love and support throughout the years. (laughs) What? I sincerely appreciate it all. 
the fuck? Where are we communicating from? Sheffield. What is, what is this like a telegram account trying to get money? I'm sure money, but it just seems so wild. So random. All right. If anyone ever has like a at official personal private, you know, it's never anyone. And like no one, no comedian is ever going to ask you for money. If they want your money, then they will tour and ask you if you want to please buy a ticket and come see them. Or they will start an OnlyFans and show you their vagina. Or they will have a Patreon or like a website. It's so mainstream to just fully ask for money now. There's one called like buy me a coffee or something. And uh, you follow someone's content and you get bonus content that you wouldn't get otherwise on uh, social media. for the price of like a cup of coffee but when many people obviously contribute to this it helps people pay you know their expenses and their business and their rent and everything else it's a lot like patreon but i mean like that is how people beg for money they don't go like dming people from an account with three followers well thank you so much for telling me about that that gave me a chuckle and i will see you in manchester on the 12th of november P.S. I love your attitude toward life. I wonder if you have any advice on getting out of a slump and not being as socially awkward or anxious. I mean, I am doing this amazing uh, interview with Louis Theroux for the BBC. It shocked the shit out of me that Louis Theroux wanted to do anything with me because at first I'm like, what? Am I a polygamist? What's happening? Why does he want to interview me? Because he's a great filmmaker and broadcaster and I'm just like hanging around, you know? I was like, yeah, you can come watch me and Fred like walk around to the park. I'm either working or I'm doing that. But I think it's coming together really well. He asks some questions that, you know, other journalists and people don't ask. And he did ask me about why I'm like Zen. And I am very Zen. And I got thinking about it. I don't think I gave him like the proper answer because I just answered on the spot. But the more I think about it, it's that like, If you are writing me this letter, if you're like, you're 28, you're alive, you live in Sheffield, you have like your whole life ahead of you, I assume you have good health. That's all you need. And things are bad. If you watch the news, like everything's really scary. And I've been in my 20s and really scared of everything. I'd wake up in the middle of the night just with like pain or panic or like, it's hard to describe just being like, I don't even know how I'm going to pay the rent next month or how I'm going to like feed my child next week. Like I had these legitimate concerns and i would like quiet those voices by being like okay number one catherine you're fine you have parents to fall back on if you needed to you have mental health you're like young and healthy like whatever bad shit comes your way really sucks and is going to be hard to think your way out of but you can like think your way out of it because at the end of the day i was still one of the most privileged people in the world i knew that i just think whatever is giving you anxiety or social like sometimes it's an it's a chemical thing then i'm not taking it away from anyone that you know there's some some people just can't control it and they need to be medicated or they need therapy and that's something that i have no experience in but the stuff that you do have control over is just being like oh my kids are safe oh wow i don't have cancer right now incredible you know like i live in one of the most privileged though fucked up countries in the world like I'm warm and safe tonight and I used to like think sometimes of me walking outside naked in a snowstorm this is turning into a very Canadian story but I did this since I was young since I was like seven years old I would think of the wind like howling wind like almost pushing me over with wet cold 
like hail that is painful when it hits your face naked walking outside in that in the dark just being like oh my god where am I gonna go and then switching back and going okay but where are you right now and I'd be so warm in my little new kids on the block duvet in my bedroom and just the contrast of like that was the worst scenario of like physical discomfort that I could imagine (laughs) and um yeah from the mind of like a seven-year-old and then I was warm and safe and I just thought okay well nothing's that bad and I can deal with it tomorrow and if you're worried at night if you have anxiety at night you just have to like shut that shit right down don't let it take you over because you got to be like I'll think about this in the morning because everything's darker at night just don't just don't like watch Dr. Pimple Popper videos or Tweezist is another good one some like healing ritual like monotonous dumb video to take your mind off whatever because you're not gonna solve it at night oh no Catherine, i need your brutally honest opinion i'm 23 i live with my boyfriend of five years what since you were like legally an adult you were dating this man and by the way your brain's not finished growing even still you still have two years of frontal lobe development remaining Everything's great. He's wonderful, kind, funny, caring, everything I could want in a man. I never, ever thought men like this existed. When did you never think men like that? You've known him your whole fucking life, babe. He's my best friend in the whole world. We have a great relationship. I love him so much. However, I have this permanent niggling thought that won't leave my head. I feel like I've got the ick and I can't drop it. Every time he says something I find embarrassing, I want to run. Part of me also wants to be single for a little bit. We've been together since we were 18. Yes, I know. I've done the math. I can't help but think about what life would be like if I could be wild and crazy again with nothing holding me back. To give you a time frame, this feeling has been going on for two years. 50% of me is telling me to go out and have fun. I'm young. I shouldn't be with someone who I'm not 100% sure about at this age. Correct. But the other 50% says I will never find a man like this again. The friendship we have built is incredible. I adore him with my whole heart. Wrong. And this breakup would probably break me. Wrong. But this feeling, stop saying niggling feeling. I don't know if we're allowed to say that word. Let me just check the etymology of that for you. Because etymology, I think, I think, and I'm going to include it because I want you guys to know what I'm talking about. It's Scandinavian. Hmm. in the sense, do in an infectual way. What does it mean? Where does that term come from? 1599. From old Norse nogger, meaning like stingy, miserly. I don't know. Related to old English. Listen, I don't know. This is not clear. I don't feel like we should use that word. Yeah, I don't like it. Let me just look at it a bit more colloquial a constant critic i don't know what that means i just don't trust it let's not use that word just to be safe all right it's 2022 your question is is this normal will it pass should i listen to the annoying feeling i just know that if i did listen to it i would regret it straight away yeah but if i don't listen i'll regret it in five ten years there you go there you go so you've nailed it in one a selfish girl who wants it all don't sign off that way it is not selfish to have self-interest and to think of what is best for you that's not a negative thing because no one else in the world has your interest in mind 
as much as you do right now. Like you can see your mind from the inside. You can feel your heart. You know what you want. You know what you need to do. There are people in life who love you and who want the best for you, but ultimately you are the driver of this ship. So, okay, I love what you said here. I know that if I did listen, I would regret it straight away. But if I don't listen, I'll regret it in five, 10 years. So always go for pain right now, reward later. Always. If you go for comfort now, because it's what you know, it's balance, it's easy, then you will have regrets later and it will only get harder to break up with this man. You don't need to break up with him in a nasty way. You don't need to cheat on him. You don't need to leave him at the altar. You know, you can be more mature and more thoughtful and say, listen, I love you. I think you're great. But at the end of the day, uh, we're very young, both of us. Maybe you've had some of these feelings too. I think we need to take some time apart. Do not say you want to fuck other people. Do not say you want to explore other people's bodies, balls. Do not say anything extra to like hurt his feelings. <laughs> Just be like, I need to explore this universe alone for a little bit. And I believe that if you and I are meant for each other, we will find our way back to each other. That is all you have to say. And yes, you do have to break up with him because I've dated people who uh, were bad and I knew I was in a bad relationship, but I've also dated people who were good, but they gave me this ick as well. And I was like, well, it's probably the best I'll get though, because I've dated so many assholes. Um, And it just... I was preventing him from meeting the love of his life and I was preventing myself from meeting the love of my life again because I was in this relationship that wasn't right. And the ick is there to send you a message. And you're right, it's hard at first because like, oh my God, you've been with this man your whole adult life and you're going to feel like you're free falling. Like, okay, what are you going to do without him? But ultimately you will be fine. And in five to 10 years, you'll be so happy. You'll be so happy with someone else or you'll be so happy back with this guy. But you have to break up if you want to make it. You really do, because you can't just keep this feeling on and then have kids and have a mortgage and still be like, oh, God, this guy, like everything he says makes me embarrassed, but I love him. No, 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 no. You're not supposed to feel like that for a long time. <laughs> oh, and by the way, I don't ever feel like that about Bobby. He gives me zero ick ever. And that's what you need to aim for because it exists. Oh, no, oh, no, Catherine. I'm seven months pregnant. Well, first of all, this email, I can't believe I skipped over the title. It's called, Is My Husband Adam Levine? Well, the answer is no, because Adam Levine at least pretends he wants to be with his wife. Burn. I'm seven months pregnant with my first child. A month ago, I discovered my husband is having an affair with a work colleague. He said he does not want to save our marriage, meaning I had to uproot my entire life, leave my job, and come home to live with my mom. He maintains everything was fine and dandy up until two months ago when he randomly started having feelings for this woman and they kissed after a few weeks of flirty texts. We've been together for seven years, married for only one year. He says we had a great relationship and a happy marriage, yet he's willing to give up his wife, his daughter, and the life we've planned for someone he barely knows. He only started this job in January and started working in the office in March around the time I fell pregnant, planned by the way. He has shown zero empathy toward me, tossed me aside, and is going about his day as normal with his new girlfriend. I have no understanding of how he can just act like nothing has happened. My entire life has been thrown upside down, and he's just gone on to be with a woman he's having a fling with and thinks he's in love with. I've been unbelievably patient and reasonable during this time. Why? He didn't have to watch me pack up and suffer. I just disappeared from his life. I know when my girl comes into the world, I'm not going to care about him because she will be my everything. But for now, it is such a shit show. 
Where does a girl even start from here? How do I begin to heal when I don't have a reason and none of it makes sense? It's worth mentioning I'm surrounded by so much love. I'm supported by friends and family, so I'm grateful that I had the option of returning to live with my mom while others may not have had that option. But it doesn't take away any of the pain or the staggering feeling of unfairness away. What a fucking prick. So I said before, when I was before the break, telling you the story about this inspirational woman, Haley, who was left at the altar. I'm like, yeah, you know, if someone leaves you, it's always the right thing. I still think that when someone leaves you in this scenario, it will ultimately be the right thing. But it's it's a different kettle of fish when you are biologically linked to this man in such a clear and ever-present and very vulnerable way. You're basically chloe kardashian right now but worse i would definitely start watching season two episode one of the kardashians on hulu or disney plus toot sweet i see no reference to the kardashians here what what happened with chloe is that tristan who cheated on her all the time so i mean it's different because you thought you had this great husband he tries to marry her tries to buy some of her house like he wants to be have his claws in this woman as much as possible. He's like, let's buy the house together. And she's like, no, I'm going to buy my own house. You know, something was telling her in the back of her mind, let's get married. And she's like, "Mm -hmm." she didn't tell anyone that she was engaged. Again, she just said yes to like buy time, but I don't think she really trusted him. Then they implant a joint embryo that they created through IVF into a surrogate. And this surrogate has just been, you know, this is all planned. Meanwhile, he knew for the last six months that this woman was suing him for paternity of her unborn baby because he had an affair behind Chloe's back. So it's like, and then Chloe's just got to wait for this baby to be born. When she was pregnant with her daughter, he cheated on her like weeks before the baby was born, or like days before the baby was born. She allowed him in the delivery room anyway, because she's like, these Kardashian women like put their own feelings to the side because they're like, oh, it's my child's father. And Like, you're going to have to make that decision soon of, like, what you're going to do now in the delivery room, like, how much involvement he wants, how much involvement, like, she wants for as long as they stay together. You have a lot of, like, actual, real, admin, logistical, heartbreaking problems ahead of you. So, I mean, it's not something that you can just walk away from that easily. I mean, you can, but there's all this biological complexity right involved and you know that and your hormones are not going to allow you to move on because mother nature is a bitch and right now everything in your hormones are telling you like stay near the father so that we can raise this baby in our tribe in the village and be hunter gatherers all you know what i mean like you just can't escape thousands of years of biology so you're gonna feel like shit and that is so unfair to heap on you in your pregnancy which is what underscores this loser as a complete and utter thoughtless wank stain bell cheese asshole so it's great that he's out of your lives but holy shit can you imagine doing that to someone Like knowing what they have to go through to bring like your legacy into the world and hurting them in this way. Wow. Well, I mean, I don't know why you've been patient and reasonable. I think you need to do whatever you can do to not get his name on the birth certificate. And then, you know, that has nothing to do later with what you decide 
to do visitation, maintenance, whatever, like, wise with their relationship. I just think legally for now, like, don't be reasonable and kind. Just carry on as much as you can and try your best to isolate yourself from this shit show because you have correctly identified it as a shit show. (sighs) I'm so happy that you have, like, support and stuff around you. But you've just got to focus on yourself and your health and your peace and bring that baby into this world and make sure yours is the only name on the birth certificate if you can avoid it. Don't feel, I mean, my opinion, Khloe Kardashian would disagree. Don't feel like you need to do your baby any favors by having him in the delivery room. Like your baby at the end of the day, trust me, in like 15 years, your baby won't look back and be like, why didn't you let my dad see me crowning? Like babies don't care about that. And then let the dust settle on all of this before you make a plan going forward for him to be or not be in this baby's life. But right now, I don't even want you to talk about this girlfriend, talk about him, talk about how he's been. It's bullshit. It's total bullshit. You can deal with it later. You need literal, like, I would say wine, but it's the wrong time for it. You need to shelf all of the bullshit going on with him and rise above it. Just be like, that is a problem for later. He is scum, literal scum. Catherine Ryan said this man is scum and I need to keep my head straight and have this baby. And then once I'm out of the tunnel of postpartum, just know that karma will send me the man of my dreams and look after this scumbag like he deserves. And and that's truly what I believe, but just don't deal with any of it now. Oh, I'm so sorry. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Telling Everybody Everything. If you want to write me an email, it's tellingeverybodyeverything at gmail.com. I'm still on tour in the UK. You can still get my book called The Audacity. You can follow me on the social stuff. It's always Cathbum. But my favorite thing is when you listen here. So thanks again, and I will see you soon.